let's ask Sherry and Lisa to get us a door prize. So we are going to increase the amount of some of these door prizes. $20 from United Blind of Seattle, one of our host chapters, $10 from South King Council of the Blind, and a $25 Starbucks card from South Kitsap Council of the Blind. Jacqueline Dickerson, congratulations. $20 from United Blind of Seattle, $20 from United Blind of Tri-Cities, $10 from South King Council, $50 cash total, and a $25 Walmart card from South Kitsap. Who's our lucky winner? Sydney Agers. All right, Sydney. This session is called Journey to the Jobs. We have three individuals who are going to speak to us about their jobs, you're going to first hear from Cindy Hollis. We all know her, and she is members management for ACB. I have known Cindy. I can't even remember how long I've known Cindy, but she is awesome at what she does, and I'm as excited to hear from her about her journey to her job that she has today as you are. So, Cindy, go ahead. All right. So this is always a fun panel because we get to hear from people who are blind or visually impaired, just like most of us, and their journey to their current employment. This panel has been happening for a very long time, well over 20 years. Sue Amateur used to bring it to us after her passing. I have been doing it and I hope to pass it to somebody else before my passing. <laughs> so, so, you know, anyway. <laughs> However, the beauty about doing a hybrid convention is that we're not limited by who is coming to our convention. And so it has been really um, an opportunity the last couple of years when we did virtual to bring people from all over the country. And this year is no exception. I have three people that I'm going to introduce to you that we will be hearing from. Tony Gebhard is Assistive Technology Instructor and Youth Transition Coordinator for Alaska Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Anchorage, Alaska. Andy Tom is a teacher of the blind and visually impaired for California School for the Blind in Fremont, California. And John Gassman is a sales reservation agent for one of my favorite places in the whole world, but for Walt Disney Travel Company in Anaheim, California. So we are going to hear about all three of their journeys, and I am going to go in that exact order. I'm going to give you each about 10 minutes, and I'll give you uh, like a two-minute warning. If you finish before the 10 minutes, that's fine. Whatever time we have left, we'll left, we will yield to questions from the audience. So, Tony, hi there. Um, but no, thank you, Cindy, so much for that introduction. And uh, as Cindy said, I work up here in Anchorage, Alaska, where it is 22 degrees outside. And um, <laughs> living in Anchorage, I've been here for about two years. Um, and uh, I'm the head assistive technology instructor and youth transition coordinator for the state of Alaska. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things that I've really come to appreciate 
so, so much about this position is that everyone is so different. Um, but the biggest thing is to kind of talk about the road to this position, the road to employment. And uh, it, it was bumpy. Let me just start off by saying that, you know, I, I'm sure many of us understand that it is very difficult to attain employment with a visual impairment, uh, let alone now things are, you know, scarce and, and inflation, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of factors in it. But I want to start by saying this. After I graduated high school in 2015, I really wanted to pursue music professionally. And that's what I did. I put out a few different albums. I went on The Voice and I spent a lot of time discovering myself as a musician. And uh, however, that came to a crashing halt professionally uh, in, in 2019 when I had started going through some se severe mental health issues and um, ended up putting myself in a situation where it was either substance or uh, my life. And after a very scary incident in February of 2019, I turned my life around and went to therapy for 10 months. And I was offered an opportunity to go to this prerequisite program for technology in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And um, originally from Michigan, yes, I am. Uh, go Blue, go Wolverines. And um, I, uh, I decided to take th that offer. And it was at the Bureau of Services for Blind Persons Training Center in Kalamazoo. And uh, mind you, just for some context here, I had been jumping from couch to couch every three to four months, living off of my social security checks, smoking my brain away, and just trying to get myself right. And I started this program called Assistive Technology and Computers in 2020. And the day I graduated was the day the country decided to shut down. So I was lucky <laughs> in the sense that I was able to finish. But what I learned in now those 10 weeks that I did that program was I have a pure passion here. And I think that's one of the most important first pieces to identify about our profession lives is what are we passionate about let's just keep that in the back of your minds as we go so i was pondering the idea of attending world services for the blind in little rock arkansas and i had caught wind about a program called ati online which was assistive technology instructor certification program online that i could partake in to understand what it means to teach this technology, to be enveloped in it, to understand all of the operating systems, every screen reader, become certified in every program that I can. Again, I got hungry. That was my biggest part, was being hungry for more knowledge. I started reading books. I started watching documentaries, understanding the art of teaching, the constructive way of working with students. And I got to tell you, one of the things that I realized early on was that everyone learns different. So I can't go up to Bob, who might be 67 years old, and say, you want to learn about Linux? I don't think they're going to know what I'm talking about. And that really opened my mind to really not worrying about how smart I am, but 
how smart they are so that they can teach me. Because that to me is the biggest thing that I think I've been able to take away from this. So let me continue onward here. I started this program with World Services for the Blind and it was 10 months and I had a wonderful instructor who was just nonstop, kept me accountable, made sure I got my work done. And I had the privilege to work with six different clients from Computers for the Blind down in Texas. After they received their technology, we would be called upon to assist them for months and learning how to do reports, learning how to do case management, becoming certified in Microsoft Office, making sure I could do a PowerPoint correctly. And meanwhile, I had made really good friends up here in Alaska for visiting the past seven years. And my good friend, Nate Kyle, and I'm going to name drop him because he's my mentor. He's my friend. And he, he is who gave me the position that I am in today. And I remember in 2019, when I had come up here to visit for Thanksgiving, he told me, if you can really figure your life out and get these certifications and do what it is that you need to do, I will have a job for you. Back then, I don't know if I had believed him, but now I do. And it's people like that. That's my next point. Know your mentors. Find your passion and know your mentors. Because those are the people that ultimately give you the perspective you need, the humility, the responsibility, accountability, knowing where we are. So I finished this program in February of 2021. And I was very grateful of that. However, I got hired in July of 2020, and I'm really proud of that. It started off virtual, which was very unique. However, I made the decision that I was going to move back to Alaska for the third time and make it permanent. And let me just say, now my fiance and I are in a two-bedroom apartment, both working at the same place. And we're no longer within that 70% unemployment rate. I never thought that day would come. Let me tell you this. I speak with a grain of salt and it makes me emotional because I see it so much with my brothers and sisters that are struggling. And that's why I did not expect to get emotional. I'm sorry. I, this is why I got into the field that I am because there are so many blind people just like myself, who have more than every capability to be successful. And I have to tell you, it really takes a lot of advocacy. It really does. That's the third thing. First is find your passion, know your mentors, and advocate. Because if, if you don't advocate, you are not going to be able to let others know what you need. So know what you need and what you want before you convey that message to others. Whether that be disclosing your disability in an interview or letting your paratransit driver know that you'd like to be dropped off by the door and not across the stupid road. There's a lot of things that go into this and you'll one day be able to get off of social security income. And as of August of 2022, I closed my case. Again, I say this with a heavy heart, 
that I never thought that would happen. I never did. I thought that I would be binded to a fixed income for the rest of my life, being in secured housing based on my income. But I was able to defy those odds and be the person that I am at 26 years old. Thank you. And I just want to add that his fiance, Nat, was one of our first hosts in community. And I introduced those two. And they yes, met she did. through community. <laughs> and I, I do believe I'll be making a trip somewhere for a wedding next summer. You okay. will. Yes. <laughs> All right. Stay close by, Tony, because when we're done, we'll do Q&A, okay? Yes, ma'am. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You. Nicely done. Next, we have Andy Tom. She is a teacher of the visually impaired in California for the California School for the Blind. She's also the youngest daughter of board member of ACB, Jeff Tom. And so here we are. Andy, welcome. Thank you, Cindy. Hello, everybody. So my journey through employment, by, by the way, that was, that was, Awesome, Tony. I, I love that. You really were making me me think about everything you said, my passion, my mentors, my advocacy. That is, I, I don't think about it enough, but that is exactly what I'm trying to do as well. So I, I love it. So yeah, a little background about myself. Um, I lost my vision um, when I was just a, just a toddler. And had, you know, these really amazing role models for parents, Jeff and Leslie Tom, uh, some of you might know, of course, my father. And yeah, and they've always pushed me to just, you know, be the best that I could and do the best that I could in everything I did. And I definitely still hold that um, today. So when I was thinking about like, my journey to where I am now and my, you know, learning how to advocate for myself through, through school and stuff, you know, some of the first experiences I think about are like my, my TDI really was my first like mentor and guide to like, well, I, okay, no, my parents were, I'm sorry, I should say my parents were, <laughs> but after that, <laughs> my TDI just really pushed me to do a lot from a really young age along with my parents um, and that was really cool. So by the time I was in high school, I was the one that was communicating with all of my teachers and advocating for myself and everything I needed um, even when teachers were ridiculous and you know might spend the first month of school enlarging documents and then come to me one day and to my face tell me, you know, I, I don't understand why I need to make one large print copy for you when I'm making 150 other copies for everyone else. And I just, I couldn't understand where she was coming from, but address that, got it dealt with, right? Because of the skills that, that my, my TVI and my father have instilled in me. Uh, so then, you know, graduating high school, I, uh, well, no, first of all, I spent a lot of my childhood in Chantel's camp in Napa. And so when I graduated high school, um, I was working there. And that was definitely a big part of me learning, you know, more independence and more communication skills and advocacy and not 
just just it was also my for it was also my my push for the job that I have today. Um, I think it is the I, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't know where. But at at, at EHC, uh, my last summer there as a camper, actually, we were spending time as a group of older girls and talking about our futures. And there was one girl there who, um, yeah, she was completely blind. Um, and I do have some vision. But she said, you know, I'm going to live at home with my mom for the rest of my life because that's what my mom said I should do. And I just heard that and it just like was ringing in my ears. And I was like, all right, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be a TVI. I'm going to be a teacher of the visually impaired because none of my students are going to say that. That is not something I want to hear again. And so that's what that's what drove me to to go into um, the teacher of the visually impaired program. Um, but it took a little bit more to get there. You know, I started going for a, a, um, an AA and a BA in psychology in Sacramento, still living with my parents and having, you know, some experiences there. I know when I, when I started at Sac City, there weren't a whole lot of accommodations specific to individuals that were um, visually impaired or blind. And one of those accommodations that was not available at the time was preferential seating, which is weird to think about. It was only available for students that were in wheelchairs. And it's like, okay, like I get that, but what about the others that need it? And so I had a professor or I had a class where I came from another class every day. And um, the, it was usually, you know, the front row was full by the time I got there and it was statistics and I couldn't rely off of just listening to the guy. I needed to see what the heck he was writing. And I would ask him, you know, multiple times. I'd ask students, you know, I, I need a front row seat, please. You know, can you ask someone to move? Can you, you know, reserve a seat for me? I'd ask students who would sometimes move. But that was my first experience, like really fighting with, or not fighting, but like going to the DRC, the Disability Resource Center, and, you know, arguing and proving that this was an accommodation that was needed for myself. Um, and I did get that preferential or the reserved seating um, paperwork that that I needed for that class. So that was really cool. Um, and then at Sac State, what was really great was that I had my counselor uh, for the disability, what was it called there? It was called the Services for Students with Disabilities. So SSWD um, was that my counselor was blind himself. So, you know, any accommodations I needed and I asked for, it was easy enough to get. Um, if I had professors that were not providing me with accessible documents, then the SSWD would accommodate, which was really great. Another thing that, that blew my mind that they did is if I was given a book to read by a professor that was not like an ebook available, then they would scan the whole book and give it to me in a binder, which to me, just like looking at where we are now with ebooks seems like really old school, but it's kind of cool that they did that. I mean, it is cool. So, you know, lots of just advocating for myself and 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 going through the system for for what I knew I wanted to do, which was to end up at at SF State to get my my TDI credential. And so I started there in 2017. And of course, I did sign up for the disability services there, but I've got to say that. I don't think I ever, after signing up, I don't think I ever went back and asked for anything simply because this was the teacher of the visually impaired program. 
And so the, you know, the person in charge and most of the professors, they were thinking about accommodations for people who were visually impaired. And so I, I didn't need extra um, assistance or accommodations because the program and the professors were like making everything accessible. It was really great. But I did have one concern when going through the program and, and it especially I was really thinking about it when I was in my student teaching experience because I was driving around with this, uh, my master teacher, you know, I would take the bus into the city because um, so I lived in Marin. So I was taking the bus into San Francisco and meeting her at a school in the morning. And then we would drive around the rest of the day to, you know, two or three other schools or, you know, other places for meetings or the special ed office that was not even out of school, right? So I was worried. I was like, how am I going to do this as a, a visually impaired person trying to be a teacher of the visually impaired who's most likely going to be itinerant and most likely going to work for a district and have who knows how many students at who knows how many schools across the city or area and have to get to all of them in a week or it just I just wasn't sure how I was going to pull this off, but I, but I knew I wanted to do this, right? I knew this was the job I wanted. And so nearing the end of my program, uh, it was, you know, December, 2019, pretty much. I was like, just, just about set to graduate and a position opened up at the California school for the blind. And I, I applied. And also at the same time that, that fall semester of 2019, I also started the orientation and mobility program at San Francisco State because I really wanted to get a credential in O&M just to kind of like broaden my knowledge and that kind of stuff that I could use with my students while we were, yeah, in the classroom, but also, you know, going around different places. Um, even though I was possibly going to be a classroom teacher, I still wanted to have that, those skills in my back pocket uh, to be able to teach those with some, you know, authority and knowledge. So I uh, did my interview for CSB in January of 2020 and started that first week of February in 2020 as a teacher of a classroom of middle schoolers, sixth to eighth grade with, uh, they're the functional academics group. So most of them have like an additional disability um, or something impacting them to be, so that they're not at grade level. and. I started there right with three weeks before the shutdown and that was crazy. And that was an experience teaching online was extremely difficult and lots of extra prep work to like mail my students materials, but my students, my students learned so much with technology that it was definitely worth it. And I learned so much with technology. I've become a little bit more knowledgeable or much more knowledgeable with JAWS um, because I had to teach my students how to use JAWS from home uh, just by sitting on Zoom together. So that was something. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, now being in the classroom, I just, I absolutely love it. And I can't imagine anything else. I, I, I love challenging my students and seeing them grow and working with such a strong community of professionals that, that are all doing this to help the students. And I, I love how I think that I'm growing as a teacher um, and with my knowledge and having all these resources and professionals around me. Um, but I also love that, you know, my students are growing and my students are being challenged. And that is where I am at today is CSB. And I couldn't ask for anything more. And I don't know if I'll ever be leaving. <laughs>
Wonderful. And I just want to share another little tidbit. Uh, Andy's mom, Leslie, and I attended the same elementary school. <laughs> Frances Gwen, I, I knew her as Leslie McCracken and... Yep. Oh, she was so adorable. Anyway, <laughs> she was three years younger than me. She was so sweet. Anyway, all right. Thanks, Andy. Stay put. We'll be back. All right. Next, but by no means least, we have John Gassman. He's a sales reservation agent for Walt Disney Travel Company in Anaheim, California. But he has told me his job encompasses a lot more than being a reservation agent. I know he's going to tell us all about it. And he's talking Disney, and I love Disney. So, John, it's all yours. Thank you, Cindy. And I should mention also to Andy that Leslie was also in my sister-in-law, Melinda Johnson, later Melinda Gassman's guide dog class oh, many years ago. Small world, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, so I, when, when we met, we saw her, I forget when it was. Did we see her at ACB convention? I can't remember. Somewhere along the line we saw her, and she reminded us of that, So Larry and I. So anyway, hello to Leslie if you're listening, and of course uh, to the entire family. I'm back in Washington for the second week in a row. Uh, Larry and I were in Bellevue last week working and participating in an old-time radio convention for reps and uh, streaming it on Yesterday USA. So it's kind of good to be back in the same area. I hope it stopped raining by now. I started late in life because uh, the the computer with, with Windows really wasn't a mainstay in job placement until the mid to late 90s. And I began working at Braille Institute. Uh, Melinda, my sister-in-law, was uh, worked at the front desk and she trained me. Uh, to answer calls and to send them on to wherever they needed needed to be sent. And I'm, I think I'm one of the first people, maybe one of the few people that ever got on the phones the same day. So I learned pretty quickly. And I did that for about a year and a half. And then they needed a uh, an individual to teach reading and writing of Braille because the, the instructor was leaving. And they asked me if I would do it. And I said, sure. And I later found out that I knew how to read and write braille, but I didn't know how to teach it because I didn't know all, any of the rules. I just, you know, I did what made sense to me. So <laughs> I finally, finally got all that straightened out and, and had a couple of good years there and enjoyed it very much. And in 2003, the job club that we had at Braille Institute in Anaheim came to me because Disney had approached them and said, we are looking to hire uh, somebody, somebody that you would recommend. And they had never hired a blind person before at the Disneyland Resort. So they had a big meeting and, and Marriott was there because Marriott had been doing it for quite a while. And of course, Larry told him, oh, whatever you do, don't hire John. Um, and despite that, they said, His well, twin brother, by the way, my twin brother, yeah who, yeah, who can hear this? He's in the other room. And we'll stay there, I'm sure. Um, anyway, so they they said, we'd like you to interview. And I said, okay, I'll be happy to do that. So I interviewed, and, and uh, uh, they had two different interviews. And they found out that I knew what I was doing on a computer. And, and they so eventually, they wound up hiring me. And my main job for the first couple of years was uh, booking vacation packages for the Disneyland Resort. In the early days, we used LMS, which is lodging management system and it was a DOS based program 
And so we used that and JAWS, which meant that somebody had to come in and script it because it wasn't JAWS for Windows. It was JAWS for DOS. I didn't know anything about DOS, but they scripted it, walked me through it, and I booked vacation packages there, I think, for about six years until the Windows-based reservation system came along. And also during that time, I began training uh, other blind people that Disney hired in terms of moving around the reservation system. So I would have a headset on. And normally when you're in a reservation situation like that, you hear Jaws in one ear and you hear the guest or travel agent in the other ear and you're typing at the same time. So this is not an acquired skill. You have to learn it, uh, which I did. And I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I figured, you know, if I'm going to work and keep this job, I'll learn it. And I did. And when I was training other blind people, I literally would, would uh, plug in with them so that I could hear exactly what they were doing as they were moving around the screen and, and help them navigate. Because I knew the screen. They didn't. But they had to learn that. They had to learn the Disney product. Everything within four to six weeks. And it's, it's, uh, it was a tough, you know, when you're not used to that kind of stuff, it's not easy. After a while, it becomes easy when you're used to it. But at first, no, it's definitely not easy. Um, so I booked vacation packages and was pretty successful. And whenever they would need somebody to come test some other form of uh, application for accessibility, they would call me because they didn't know anything about accessibility, uh, but they knew that I did. Whenever they had a JAWS question, they would come to me because they certainly didn't know anything about JAWS. They knew it was a screen reader. But when something went wrong or when, you know, they, something needed to be fixed, they came to me. And luckily, I, you know, I knew enough to help. And I learned as I went. And so had a chance to do that. And it was it was really, really a lot of fun. Um, during my stay there, we also, Larry and I began to, uh, we were asked to host FSCast, the Freedom Scientific Podcast, and did that for two or three years uh, until the pandemic forced us to stop because they didn't have any money to pay us. So they said, oh, well, we've we already got Glenn Gordon working here. We can pay him, and which was absolutely correct. So we're happy that uh, the podcast continues on. And we had a lot, of, a lot of fun doing that for two or three years. Also at Disney, I, I sang and, and have sung in the Disney Candlelight Choir since 2007. And uh, all of the candlelights since then. And we've uh, done a couple of things for ABC, where we did uh, the 50th anniversary of a, uh, it's a Small World on Good Morning America, uh, when Mickey celebrated the 90th birthday. That was broadcast on ABC, and we had a chance to sing on that as well, and, you know, lots of other things. So you get a chance to do a lot of things while you're, you're at Disney. So in addition to training and working with accessibility, you, you begin to get kind of well-known, and people know who you are. Disney has an award. Uh, that I was very fortunate to win. It's called the Walt Disney Legacy Award. And to show you how hard it is to win it, less than half of 1% of the company wins it. And you're nominated by your peers, all of that. And then you have to, you have to rationalize it and justify it in writing when you nominate somebody. And those nominations go up the, go up the pike to management. And they make the decision. And for whatever reason, uh, they chose me as one of the winners. And I, I won it in 2019. I talked a little bit about this on FSCast and on the IRA uh, podcast. It is the, the major moment of my life. 
at Disney. I mean, it was nice to win the award for all the things that I've been lucky enough to do, but to have my family there to see it. I mean, when when they told me when when they told Larry, my 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 my, <laughs> my manager was I was in to see my manager and she said she was I forget what she wanted me to come in for, but she needed to see my phone because I guess maybe there was something wrong or that she wanted to look at. So I handed her the phone thinking that she was looking at one of the apps, but no, what she was doing instead was going into my contacts to look up Larry's phone number and email address so she could invite him and the rest of my family to this award ceremony that, that I and, and, and two other uh, cast members were receiving in 2019, uh, which cracked me up. So Larry knew about it. The family knew about it for about a month before the actual award ceremony. And then they had another problem because all these people, all these other cast members were sitting in the break room getting ready to hear about who was going to win. But they couldn't let my family come in right away because if they saw Larry, they would know, oh, John won the award. So they had to hide him away in one of the break rooms. And they did. Uh, one one person in the garage saw Larry and she caught on right away and knew what was going on. So I got a very nice plaque. I got a very nice photo. And it really, the award is to simulate some of the traits that Walt Disney had, which was to dream, create, and expire. Uh, I said expire. I meant inspire. Uh, no expiring, John. No, 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 no definitely no, no. not. So I was I was really excited to win that and, and wearing the badge that, that – that says Walt Disney Legacy Award is is something I treasure and do. Uh, well, I did it every day when I was in the office. I don't wear it as much now that I'm at home, but I get to wear it to candlelight rehearsals. So it's just it's an absolutely wonderful opportunity. I'm I'm the only blind person to ever win the award, and I hope that there'll be others in the future. But uh, it's a small small group of people that win it, and and ma- that makes it even more more uh, interesting. When I'll do this, I'll do this really quickly. When the pandemic started, everybody, of course, worked from home and uh, we didn't know what we were going to do at that point in time because the soft phones that Disney used for those who work at home were not accessible totally. Avaya is only so, so accessible. And so they said, John, you're 65. You got to go home and, you know, just wait and see what happens. So I did. And five weeks later, they called and said, one of our one of our individuals, somebody that, that I've worked with for years, uh, Joanna worked, has done some JAWS scripting. That's not her main job, but she was interested in JAWS scripting. She created scripts for that phone, which then allowed the three or four of us working from home to continue working and do what we do from home. So she really, in essence, saved our jobs. And so, you know, we get together at CSUN every year. And uh, so uh, she's she's absolutely a terrific individual. Technology, I mean, what would I do without Jaws for Windows or my iPhone or most recently Good Maps, for example, for GPS indoor navigation? And most recently, the Envision glasses, which I have and love. This is the best time in the world to be a blind person from a technology perspective because there's so much happening and so often. You don't have to wait for long. It, it's happening every month. Uh, and it's a great time if you're looking for an employment possibility uh, to be a blind person because you've got accessibility right there. And, you, of course, you do have to, to promote your, the fact that you need things fixed in a nice way. But if you do that... Things do get corrected pretty quickly when people understand how important it is to you. So anyway, I'll be quiet for now. This is more than enough. But I, I thank you all for inviting me to spend some time with you. I've enjoyed it very much. 
We are going to open it to questions for the three of them. But John, I have a very important question. I want to know, as a Disney cast member, do you get like any perks to the parks and stuff? Yes. Uh, you... so should I be looking for a job at Disney? Because I think I'd really enjoy that. And... You, you should. You definitely should. I mean, Florida hasn't hired anybody that I know of since I've been there these 20 years. And they, they've been talking about it. But oh. you know, we're still hiring in Southern California. So absolutely. You know what? Being at ACB is like being at Disney. So I'll just stay where I'm at. Okay. However, um, I'll visit every so often. You All should. right. Raise your hands if you have questions. We have about five minutes, maybe a little more. I have a question for you guys that are that were forced to work from home. I'm looking actually into home employment and I've got my certificate and everything and I'm, you know, ready to work. I'm actually going to work in the mental health field, but how what were the challenges you had to overcome working at home as opposed to working out and about? I mean, I can see a lot of difficulties you know, getting the information to your supervisors or your boss and that. I, I think one of the biggest things that I found to be an obstacle initially was the lack of personal communication, you know, being face to face, you know, in, in a setting where other people are there. Um, and I guess it really depends because I'm more of an extrovert, but I, I know some some folks may thrive on that, you know, that setting of employment. So if that's something that really fits you and you're not as much of a people person, then I think it would be a a huge benefit. But initially, um, you know, just the lack of personal communication was was really tough. All right. And do we have any questions in the room? Michael Alvarez, uh, this question actually is for Andy Tom. Do you believe that you as a blind teacher at School of Blind with blind parents do you believe that that gives you kind of a leg up when it comes to talking to other sighted parents of the blind children that you work with? Do they sometimes um, give you know come to you f- for advice where they wouldn't come to other people? Parents, I, I don't. I, I think that parents are more intrigued by the fact that I I share with them that I'm visually impaired. Um, I don't typically share with my students parents that my parents are visually impaired just because it doesn't come up in conversation um but i i think that it it does help me with my students i think that my students are very intrigued by the fact that my parents are blind and when i talk about what my parents do you know my mom came to csb on white cane day and my students were able to, you know, walk around with her and talk with her and ask her questions. And she worked with them on activities. And I think it was really great for them to see. This is Haley Edick. Um, I noticed that in our school districts, um, they're using a system called the iReady. And for sighted kids, it seems to be pretty great. But in my experience as a paraeducator, in what I've seen for blind, especially totally blind students, there's a big disadvantage. Are you able to skirt that system um, due to being in a school for the blind or do you have to deal with this too? And if so, what do you do? Yeah, we don't, we don't use a system. I, I, I already never heard of that. There is, there are systems that we use as like educators um, there that are pretty accessible uh, for screen readers. It might be a little bit, bit trickier, but I do know, 
Um, I do have coworkers that are using screen readers that are using Cyrus. That's our like online teacher platform um, for special education. But our students at our school, we're, we it's really up to the teachers what platform they want to use. A lot of us are using the Google platform, um, you know, Google Forms, uh, Google Classroom, um, you know, Gmail, of course. Um, and it, you know, it's it's pretty darn accessible. Um, so that's, you know, that's our, our way around that. Um, if, if there is a school district that's using something that's not accessible, I mean, I would, I would argue to, you know, put it in the, the IEP that this student has an accommodation that allows them to get the assignments in a different format. And, and if the school is like, well, no, it needs to be in electronic format, then fine. Use the Google platform. Like it's not that difficult for a teacher to adjust to that. So. I apologize, our time is up, but I want to thank Tony, Andy, and John for being with us from their respective locations. And once again, thank you for the opportunity to bring another group of employed people to tell their story to all of you. Thank you. Do we wanna do one door price before we leave? We forgot to say that some of these items that were not cash, were donated by Carrie and uh, Jeff Bishop and Cindy Hollis and Carolyn and her family. But what we have is a uh, like a mermaid blanket and we have a $25 Visa gift card from PCB and $20 in cash from United Blind of Seattle. Donnie Moberg. <laughs> All right. <laughs>